Greetings, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Classroom 33 podcast. I'm Pastor Dustin here with Steve Prudian, and today we are in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes. And uh, Steve, how have you been doing this week? Well, in reality, I haven't really thought about it because I've been too busy, okay, getting things done. Yep. So uh, how am I doing? I'm doing fine. How my mind is doing, it's like a squirrel chasing, running around a tree. Okay. All right. I can certainly understand that. That's kind of how my week was last week. We had the fair here, and Mm -hmm. I was kind of all over every place. Mm -hmm. So, um, anyways, the fair was great. Uh, The fair service was wonderful. And now here we are again. Tuesday afternoon for another podcast. Now, we're in the second chapter of Ecclesiastes, and there's a little bit going on here, but uh, you don't have your notes. No, I don't have notes, but I do get some highlights in this particular Bible. You've got you've got some highlighted. I got some highlighted right. stuff. All right, so. If you're listening, what you uh, what you may or may not know is that, uh, Steve, you generally do some sort of an outline or talking points on our section that we're discussing, and then uh, we kind of use that as a framework for our conversation, but we don't have that, so we are, as gonna, they... Is, we're going to get surprised ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> we are, as they say, footloose and fancy free today on our discussion. Or if you want to, if you want to be theological about it, okay? okay, okay, we're going to be free in the spirit. Yes. <laughs> so, we'll just pray that uh, Holy Spirit work in this place and speak through us, lead us and guide us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So uh, Solomon is writing the book of Ecclesiastes, and he's talking about all of these things that he's done in his life, all these different ways that he has looked for pleasure and enjoyment, and it's all very carnal in its in its center. It's all very flesh-related. It's all very related to life now. Um, you know, there's one analogy that calls our temporal existence, our fleshly existence, the dot, and the eternity's the line. So he's living for the dot right now. He's not focused on the line at all. So, um, and he's got some ups and downs in this, and that's completely understandable. So, um, what are some things, what's something that you have highlighted there? Well, I want to do a little bit of history. Oh, Perfect. Solomon, which we discussed last week as the third king yes. of, um, of Israel. And um, Solomon was granted by God anything that he wanted. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether this was a trick question or not, but Solomon, rather than choosing what most men pick, which is basically wealth and fame, mm-hmm. he asked God for wisdom. And literally, asking for wisdom is greater than God giving you a gold mine. Yes, it is. But ironically, he he became so wise 
that he forgot about his wisdom and did stupid things. Yep. So a wise man, a wise man who doesn't stay close to God can still do stupid things. Oh, absolutely. Now, I sat and I thought about how can a king be a king and be stupid? You can't run a country. You can't govern a people if you're stupid. Or maybe you can. For a while. For a while. Well, I I think Ahab gives us that example. Uh Uh-huh. There are many who give us that example. Now, I sat and I said to myself, I said, what was the education of a king? What is the education of a king? That's a good question. And I said, since Solomon was one of the sons of King David, mm-hmm. and King David was known as a man after God's own heart. Right. Not that he was perfect. He had weaknesses and failures. Mm-hmm. In fact, Solomon was a result of one of his weaknesses and failures. Yes. So I said to myself, what is it that David, his father, as king, would impart to his son so his son would be a better king? And the answer cannot be found. The answer cannot be found. So then I look back at the raising of a king. Mm Mm-hmm. And I realized that the raising of the king was not the reigning king's responsibility. Correct. He subjugated it, mm-hmm. okay, to the mother yes. and her servants. Yep. And even in Israel, every king, every queen that King Solomon had, which was many, and every child that King Solomon had, which was many, and even David... What they did is is they gave each queen their own residence. The queen did not live with the king. Interesting. And the king would call for the queen at his beckoning, depending upon how he felt that given day. Now, based upon Solomon, the rotation was probably about once every three years. Interesting. Because the fact that he had 900 concubines as long as, as well as with queens. <laughs> Fair enough. So I said to myself, well, I says, maybe, just maybe, I can't blame David. So the question is, is under whose instruction was this wisest king? Dustin, do you remember anything about who Solomon's? mother was well Solomon's mother was Bathsheba that's right the wife of Uriah that's right and uh, that's about all I can recall of her off the top of my head obviously we know about David's affair and the murder of her husband Um, the firstborn between David and Bathsheba Died. That's correct. And Solomon would be the second born of the That's of that correct. pairing. That's correct. You know what? You know the verse in the Bible that says a child left unto himself will bring his mother to shame? Yes. 
all too often princes and princesses became spoiled brats. Yep. And they would bring their parents, the king and the queen, to shame. So, yep. when I think about who Solomon is and how he was raised, I sit there and I said, I would expected that he would have had a better formal education. However, the Bible also says, okay, um, spare the rod and... Spoil the child. And spoil the child. So when I look at uh, some of the things that Solomon attributes to his life in his pursuit of growing up, in his pursuit of happiness and purpose, I see a spoiled child. Yes. Okay, I see a person who does not have much biblical understanding or grounding. But yet it was Solomon himself who built the great temple to the Lord. Which brings mm -hmm. me to brings me to this point here. All kings, even in Israel, were not kings because they were born to be king. They were kings because they were anointed to be king. Yep. But how often does a person not value the anointing that has been placed upon him? And that is even true today for people that are in ministry. They have an anointing, but yet they disregard the responsibility of that anointing. And that's what I wanted to say as an introduction about Solomon. All right. And that's totally fair. And, you know, we can very obviously assume that he was maybe um, spoiled by his mother in the fact that she went to David to say you need to make him king so that she was advocating on his behalf might be an indicator Mama's that, boy. that he was a little bit of a mama's boy. Mama's boy. <laughs> I wasn't going to say it, but since you did, I'll repeat it. Anyways. All right. So that's, so that's how we get Solomon in this, in this place of power. And I can imagine given, given David's history, that there's probably um, some priestly or Levitical oversight in his training. I mean, he he wasn't unaware of God by was, any stretch. He was under the charge of Zadok, the high priest. Yes. Yep. And Nathan was still around, especially at the beginning. Yes. I don't know how long Nathan is around through Solomon's reign. Um, I was just looking here to see if there's another prophet that's listed, but I have to read through a whole lot of names in order to do that, and I just don't want to do that right now. So, so anyways, we get to Ecclesiastes, and Solomon, who's maybe a little spoiled. But he also has mileage on him now. But he's got, he does. 
he does. So the spoiling is long gone. Now he's a spoiled king. And he's kind of spoiling himself. And as I'm reading here, I mean, he basically says that. He had a sickness. He definitely had a sickness. Do you know what that sickness was called? Hedonism? No. <laughs> is that, is that tur- the right name? It turned into hedonism. It did, yeah. Right, but he actually had a sickness called boredism. He was bored. He was bored, yeah. Right. Well, that's, yeah. And do you know what the Bible says about people that are bored? It's dangerous. Idleness, being bored, is the devil's workshop. It's the devil's plaything, yeah. Yeah, so he doesn't, I mean, right at the beginning of this chapter, he he says, I didn't deny myself anything. Nope. He's like a kid in a candy store with a blank check. He just, he goes for everything. Look at verse 3b. He's revealing something. You want me to read it out of mine or you want to read it out of yours? Uh, go ahead and read it out of yours. When the first couple of things he tried didn't work, mm-hmm. it begins with the next. Next, yes. I changed my course again, followed the path of folly, mm-hmm. the path of fools, so that I could experience, get this point, experience mm-hmm. the only happiness most men have throughout their lives. Foolishness is the only happiness that they have throughout their lives. Right. Do you know another word for foolishness? A synonym to foolishness? What would that be? Shrugs off responsibility. Irresponsible. 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 Okay. Yep. As somebody who just no common sense, total pleasure seeker, you know. You want to know how spoiled some, he is? Somebody, well, foolishness, we'll get to that. Foolishness is essentially the opposite of wisdom. And what does a fool say about God? What does he say in his heart about God? There is no God. There is no God. So what does that leave? It leaves only this life. Only, only me. Only as good as I am. Right. Okay. Right. Yeah. So and, how... St- Go ahead. So anyway, a fool does not know he's a fool because he thinks... He's the wise man. Right. <laughs> no doubt about that. Just uh, look at the some of the people that are claiming today, there is no God. There is no God. There is no God. It doesn't matter how much proof you show him. A, a person who thinks he's a wise man uh-huh. that really is a fool is a man of many excuses. Yes. And those excuses usually blame everything but himself. Yes. Yep. Okay, so you were starting to say, how spoiled was Solomon? I'll tell you how spoiled Solomon was. If we go down to verse 10, 
Okay. In the same chapter, too. Yep. In the Living Bible that I'm reading out of, it says this. It says, anything I wanted, I took. Mm-hmm. And I did not restrain myself from any joy. I even found great pleasure in hard work. I can't believe he went to work. Mm-hmm. Okay. This pleasure was indeed my only reward for all of my labors. Yep. What is he saying? What is he saying? Is he learning something? You know what he's learning? What is he learning? He's learning that it's important in life to have a purpose. It is. It is important to work. That's when, even before God kicks Adam and Eve out of the garden, he gives them the task of work. Mm-hmm. He gives them work to do. He gives them a job to do. It's not good for us to be idle. Mm-hmm. We are supposed to be working and taking care of this wonderful creation. So my translation says in chapter 10, whatever my eyes desired, or verse 10, I'm sorry, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure for my heart found pleasure in all of my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. So this is one of those verses that kind of stuck out to me. Okay, he kept, he worked, and that was his joy, right? He, he rewarded himself for his work with these pleasures. And, 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 it, was, and it was kind of a, kind of a self-fulfilling deal, right? I'm, you know, I'm going to go mow my lawn and then I'm going to treat myself to something afterwards. End result. Then what? End result. Then what? Then... More of the same thing? More of the same. It's just, it's all vanity. It's all chasing the wind. Reminds me of a hamster in a hamster's cage. Right. How far did he get? Not very far. No. He did it over and over and over again. Ended up at the same spot. Yep. You know what they call that? Insanity? Exhaustion. Yeah, okay. (laughs) But he does this and... So I'm 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 just going to put an earmark on this verse and then we'll move on. Okay? Cuz I'll I'll come back to it. Fine. Okay. The next thing that I have highlighted in, in this particular Bible even though I don't have my side notes. Right. Is he says in verse 10, anything I wanted. Right. Anything I wanted I took. Yep. And did not restrain myself from any joy. Mm-hmm. I even found great pleasure in hard work. This pleasure was indeed my only reward for all my labors. Mm-hmm. How do you get a reward for something you've taken? I don't know. I don't know either. By having it? It seems very covetous to me. He's not really saying that he's rewarded by what he took. He's really saying, in contrary to what he took, 
that didn't give him pleasure, but what gave him pleasure is when he had to work hard, when he had to put his own person into it, his own sweat and blood, his own value. He added value to the end result. Right. And he's able to look back at it. What do you think of that? I think that's interesting. How does a child develop value? They have to learn it. They learn from their both their successes mm -hmm. as well as their failures. Right. If everything a person did turned to gold or they were successful, what have they learned? They've learned that there's no value in it. You don't need to put effort in because everything succeeds. The problem is, is they have no standard. Right. Okay. And without a standard, whatever they believe in with only one side, that's one-sided, is lopsided. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. So let's go on. Let's go to chapter, or I'm sorry, verse 12. Go ahead. So he turns to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can the one do who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. And this, he starts to shift. And this is kind of what I'm seeing in this between between the first part of the chapter and the second part of the chapter, he's shifting his focus. What's causing that? Probably his old age. He's, he's looking back and he's looking at how much joy he got in actually doing the work when he was able to and in the times that he did. And now that he's old, he's, he's also looking back at that same work and going... So really, what good was it? A lot of people think that when you read a book in the Bible or a chapter in the Bible mm -hmm. or even the next verse in the Bible, mm -hmm. that it was written by the author at one sitting at one time. The fact is, is, is that it didn't because there were periods, many times of interlude between thoughts in writing. Oh, absolutely. And so here we see that there's some retrospect going on. And what causes retrospect? Why does a what when, when when does a person retrospect and what does he do that for? Well, often that's a uh, closing years of life type situation he's gotten old and he's looked back he's looking back and going what what was all of that for what was the purpose he's having a little bit of a of a existential crisis because he's been far from god for a very long time at this point and so staring death in the face He's not really sure what to expect walking through the walking through death's door. So he's having a little bit of a crisis. 
and he's going, what, what was the purpose of my life? And he doesn't, he doesn't know that he ends up being the wisest man in history. He doesn't know that he ends up being one of the richest kings, if not the richest king in history. And his reign altered the course of the world and politics and everything. It was a pivotal time in history. He doesn't know any of that. But he's looking back on his life going, what, what does any of this matter? And I actually, he, sa- he says in this, in this section of it that, you know, what do you do? All that work, what good was it? I'm leaving it behind for somebody else to finish. Ever gone to a nursing home? Yep. Ever see rocking chairs at a nursing home? Yep. Ever see a bunch of guys sitting in rocking chairs talking to each other or maybe mumbling to each other? Or maybe mumbling to themselves, yes. Do you yes. know what they talk about? What do they talk about? The past. The good old days. They talk about the past. Yep. And, and they talk about the meaning of the past. Yes. Okay? So you could say that they're really a rocking. Yeah. <laughs> But what happens is, is, is that um, Solomon is in a rocking chair, mm-hmm. and he's rocking back and forth between what is versus what was. Right. In determining somewhere in the middle what is, what is true value. Right. Why would he want to tell us his story? Why is he rocking in that chair telling us this story? Because he still has the wisdom that God gave him. And he recognizes that there's a value in the story that he has to tell. And he gets to that. I mean, he does get to that at the end of the chapter. Just like he does in chapter 12 at the end of the book. He does point forward the whole time. So who's he talking to? He's talking to me. He's talking to you. He's talking to all of us. He's talking to people warning us. He is. He's warning us that the wisest person of all still made mistakes. Right. And just like Proverbs is written as a letter from a father to a son. Right. This is very, this has a very similar feel to it. So it is likely written to his son. Or it's written to his nation. It could be written to his nation. Could be. It very well could be. The very fact that it's called Ecclesiastes tells me that it's a that it is a um, political religious treatise. Okay. Okay. Yep. And he's doing it from as the, as from the office and the power of the king. Okay, but he's laying it out as a truth that people should become aware of. Right. And he's doing it in a in a very vulnerable way, and in a way that is going to be well received. Because as king, he has the authority. He could just send out a letter and say, "You need to honor God." Mm-hmm. But he doesn't. Instead of making a decree, he writes a letter. What's interesting is if you go on in history, and you look at his sons. Mm-hmm. Apparently, they weren't listening. No. 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 
So, um, I have something down here in verses 13 and 14. Okay. Highlighted, and it says this. He says, Wisdom is of more value than foolishness, just as light is better than darkness. For the wise man sees while the fool is blind. Mm-hmm. Have you ever been both? Oh, sure. Yeah. And that is tricky. When you think you're wise, but you're really a fool, you're really only a blind to yourself. Right. And true revelation becomes when you get the wisdom to realize what a fool you've been. Mm-hmm. Do you know when I do things foolish? What's that? I, I know I'm going to do something foolish. Yep. I, I know I'm going to do something foolish when either I get angry. Uh-huh. I get tired. Yep. Or I'm impatient. Okay. When any of those conditions are in my life, I should be sitting on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> because it's not going to churn it out well if I act on act in when I'm having those kind of moments. Right. Yep. And uh Yeah, the self-control is, uh, say, in those moments, one of the more elusive fruits of the mm -hmm. Spirit. Um, what do you think of that word, light? He associates light with wisdom. He and does. He, and, he, and he associates foolishness with darkness. That's interesting, because that kind of kind of pairs with what I was just saying, is that foolishness is being the opposite of wisdom, but maybe it's more accurate to say foolishness is the absence of wisdom. Because darkness isn't actually a thing. Darkness is a description of a lack of light. Mm -hmm. So foolishness would then... Lack of wisdom. ...be a complete lack of wisdom. That's right. So... So you, know, you notice the yeah. end result? The next verse? What's, what's the end result? Well, it's actually still part of 14. It's still part of 14, yet I perceive that the same fate befalls them. Uh-huh. And what is that fate? Which is the beginning of 15. Death. Then I said to myself, what happens to a fool will happen to me also. So why have I been so very wise? That's also vanity. There is no enduring remembrance of the wise or of fools, seeing in that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How can the wise die just like fools? It's just... It just speaks to the existential crisis that he's having. It really does. He's saying the whole thing. He's saying, what, what is the point? What is the point of being a bunch of ants in a hill, running to and fro until we die? What is the point of it? What is the purpose of it? What does he lack in understanding? What does he really lack 
in understanding. He lacks an eternal perspective. He lacks in knowing God. Right. He looked at everything else on the plane of man Mm -hmm. and neglected knowing God. Right. And in the end, he gets there. Mm -hmm. And we know that. But... So he says, how can the wise die just like fools and there's no remembrance? He's writing this letter expecting that it's going to be forgotten. Expecting that it's going to be lost to time. Probably not even reaching a second generation from when he writes it. And little does he know. It's still with us today. It's still with us today. The... I love the irony in him really humbling himself and saying, I am a great, wise, powerful king, and I'm going to be forgotten just like anybody else is. And it's a great reminder for us that we're not going to be remembered unless we're part of God's story. There's no place in history for us unless we're part of God's story. You saw the book that I showed you um, on Sunday just briefly, right? Yes. And who was the main writer of that book? No, I don't remember. You're going to have Charles to Charles Spurgeon. Me. Yes, thank you. Okay, the reality is, okay, the reason we leave a little bit of ourselves behind is is because we can't reach everybody within our own life. Right. But if we leave a crumb that somebody can pick up and learn from, then our life actually has more purpose than we'll ever know. Yep. You know that uh, the person who led... Billy Graham to Jesus Christ in most cases would be considered inconsequential. But to Billy Graham, he was not inconsequential. Do you know who that person was? I don't know that I do. Strange name. His name was Mordecai Ham. Really? Okay. Yes. Cool. He invited Billy to come to a revival tent meeting. Okay. Huh. Mm-hmm. So little do you know how you can affect generations after you. So I'm going to, that's, that's a really great, I can, I can piggyback off of that on my thought here. Um, because I'm going to, I'm going to move forward to 18 and I'm going to move and I'm going to move backward to verse 10 at the same time. Because in verse 18, He writes that I hated all my toil in which I had toiled under the sun. But when we go back to chapter 10, he loved all of it. And as we go forward, we realize what's happening. Mm -hmm. Because in chapter 10, he's taking a very immediate perspective, right? This is, this is like three different circles of perspective that, that we've got going on in this little chapter here. We've got, he has a very 
very now, very um, instant gratification type perspective in which he loves all of his toil because all of his toil, he sees the work that gets done and he rewards himself and he takes all these things and it's great to have these things and all this kind of stuff that's going on. It's very instant gratification focused. It's called the showy. The showy. He had it and he loved it and that was great. And now he's looking, okay, so what does that do for me now? Yesterday's gone. Yesterday's gone. Okay. Um, I did landscaping when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. I worked for a landscaping company and that was great work. I, I loved doing it because at the end of the day, when the job is done, you can see how different it is. You can see how mm-hmm. changed it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of joy. There's maybe a little bit of pride in getting that job done and seeing creative it. effort. Right. And now 20, 22, 3, 4 years later. What's what's been done with it? Has probably, it probably has weeds? It, has it been kept up? Is there well I did a lot of I did a lot of block work. Okay. You know, has it been maintained? Has it been changed? Has it been modified? There's not a whole lot of people out there that have their landscaping. My block gets moldy over time. Right. So people don't keep their landscaping the same for 20 and 30 and 40 years. So has it been changed? You know, are there weeds growing up in the cracks of the sidewalks that we laid? Are... You know, the the trees that we planted, have they been pruned and trimmed and, you know, kept clean? Has, they, is there or, still mulch in the or beds? Are or are they dead? Or are they dead? It's been left behind for somebody else. So that if I went back to look at some of those, I would probably feel something of what he's feeling here. And all that hard work and nothing comes out of it. So you've got, so now his perspective has stretched, but it's still temporal. He's still stuck in this physical, temporary world in his perspective. I did it then. It gave me great joy then to do it. It, There was a lot of pride in getting it done. And now, really, what good is that? That didn't do me any good. Maybe I've got a bad shoulder because of all the stuff that I, you know, all the holes that I dug with my shovel. I got it. You know, maybe that's what I'm living with now and I hate it. Well, in uh, in Ezekiel 12, he describes his physical condition and he wasn't good in any area. Physically. No, he was not. He was not good in any area. And so, but even at the end of this chapter, even at the end of chapter two, Solomon's talking about eternal it's just a glimpse he doesn't go into it the same way he's gone into these other makes a man go from temporal to thinking about eternal old age typically what's interesting is this is what you earned yesterday Mm -hmm. do you still have today if i saved it i might have some of it do you still have the same vehicle you had 10 years ago? No. I had, no. Sorry, I, I had to actually think about that one. How long have I had that? Okay. So no, what no, happens, everything what changes. What happens is, is in, a, in a temporary life, mm-hmm. 
we have temporary things. Yes. We have temp- temporary joys. Yes. We have temporary rewards. Mm-hmm. What is the only thing in this life that is not temporary should we choose to be part of it? The only thing that's not temporary in this life should we choose to accept it? Well, that would be the salvation of Christ. That is eternity. Yes. That is eternity. But how many people run away from eternity chasing after the wind? Lots and lots and lots. Lots. Take a look at near the end of the chapter, at at the end of verse 23. Okay. It reads, days full of sorrow Uh and grief. Yeah. Restless. Yep. Bitter nights. Mm-hmm. It's all utterly ridiculous. If you chase after the wind, if you chase after the stuff, if you chase after the fame, if you chase after the power, at night, it's nothing but sorrow, grief, restless, bitter nights. And you come to the conclusion it wasn't worth it. Nope. And it's because it's ridiculous. Yes. What else do you see in that, Dustin? Well, it's... The conclusion. The conclusion. The the conclusion comes next. Yes. He, He says, you know... In the New Living Translation, he says, so I decided, but he has taken a little bit of a turn in this, and I just want to point this out, and then we can go to the conclusion, because I think we're out about that time. Not only has the joy been meaningless, and the work has been meaningless, but now the pain is also meaningless. Mm-hmm. I think that's very interesting and just worth pointing out. I don't think we need to dwell on it. But... So then moving into the conclusion. The conclusion is everything. In verse 24. So I decided there is nothing better than to enjoy food and drink and to find satisfaction and work. Then he realized that these pleasures are a gift directly given from the hand of God for who can enjoy anything apart from him. He finally gets it right. Give credit where credit's due. Absolutely. Absolutely. So he finally gets it right. That eternal perspective finally comes in, and he finally goes, right. It was great. There was a joy in the work when it was accomplished. That pride, that instant gratification was great. What good has it done me now? If it's from the hand of God, then it has done me all of the good. Whether it's the joy, whether it's the pain, whether it's the food, the drink, or anything, all of it is a gift to us from God. And in that is everything. And what's that an expression of? Faith. Hmm? Faith. Gratefulness. Gratefulness. Gratitude. There you go. That's a better word than I came up with. 
Yeah, absolutely. So he's finally fixed his perspective. Look where he takes that temporal into value. What's mm -hmm. the value of what he just said? It's being in the next verse. God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to those who please him. And how did he learn that? By having it all. By becoming no grateful. Joy. By becoming grateful. By becoming grateful. Now he's gained the wisdom. Yep. Out of gratefulness. Not out of his own doing. Right. But out of the fact that now he sees it was God who was working through him. Yep. Not for his benefit, okay, but for God's glory. And God was willing to share his glory to benefit his child. Yep. And the lesson is, is, is that if we pay homage to God mm -hmm. and are grateful for what he does in our lives, even if we don't understand it, the result is these. The result is... For God gives those who please him wisdom, knowledge, and joy. Yes. Okay? Do you want God's wisdom, knowledge, and joy, or do you want to stay just the way you are? I think I'll take what God has to give me. And that is the moral to the story. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Well, that was great. We got through it. We got through it. No notes. No notes. And we did it. Not in record time by any stretch, so thank you very much for sticking it out with us here. Um, next week, no podcast next week. I'm not here next week, no. No podcast. You're not here, I'm not here. So That's true. And my wife's not going to do one even if you were here. All right, then. We could be in trouble if she ever did one. We might want to examine that. We'll look at that. That might be fun. Anyways. She actually has more to say than both of us. I believe it. And it's probably what she says is true. And <laughs> probably. She's smarter than both of us combined, for sure. All right. Yeah, we, we, um, we uh, specialize in hyperbole. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Steve. Thank you very much for coming. Enjoy your week off. Thank you. Same to you, Dustin. Dustin.